like I said, we are in a sermon series called Resolving Everyday Conflict, and that's what that is. So this is where we've been. Uh, we started off with my pause, which is the strategic pause before you enter into a conflict. Then we talked about my part, because you can't solve conflict unless you're willing to admit that it takes two, and sometimes, not sometimes, most always, the best place to start is with me, and then them. Then we had guest pastor Alex Lupo. Did you all treat him nice? Is Okay, good. So he'll be back? Maybe. <laughs> Tell him there's food next week. Yeah. Uh, and then August 21st of today, that's his plan. This is the culmination of this resolving everyday conflict. Now, next week, like I mentioned, we're going to be doing the I Don't Believe in Church. So again, send the survey. Get the answers. Come back. You may have questions yourself. You don't have to be a heathen to have questions. Did I say that out loud? I did. You know, ask the questions that you have, and uh, we'll, we'll get you, you know, all set up. All right, so on with today, cancel culture. How many people have experienced cancer, cancer, cancel culture? Just a few. How many people have been canceled? How many people have no idea what I'm talking about? All right, so let's back up. Here's a good place to start. Cancel culture is this thing, and here's the definition straight out of the dictionary. Cancel culture is the practice or tendency of engaging in mass canceling as a way of expressing disapproval or exerting social pressure. Now, I have a theory on this, and the theory is it starts with social media. Because on social media, you can just block people, or you can unfriend them. You know, back in, back in the day, there was no click of a button and you're not my friend anymore. But now you can. You can just totally ignore any communications from that person. And what's more is conflict is increasing because I'm convinced that people on social media will say things they would never say to your face. Have you noticed this? It's called flaming. Like when you just you know, say something, you would never say that to someone's face because you would fear for your life. But on a keyboard, <laughs> yeah, I'm a warrior. So I will say all kinds of things. So it's very divisive. Conflict is on the rise. And if you don't like what they say, you just cancel them. They are persona non grata. That's the only Latin I know. So... They just, you just wipe them off the face of the earth. You don't have to communicate with them. You don't have to deal with them anymore. Now, the problem is since COVID hit, and I think that spiked and accelerated this idea of cancel culture because more people were online all the time and more people were getting upset. It's a tight time. People are tense. People are canceling each other all over. And then COVID stopped and we started coming back in person. And here's my theory. Nobody knows what to do with that. Like, I don't like what you said, unfriend, unfriend, unfriend. It's not working. He's still there. What do I do? Well, I'm glad you asked that question because that's what we're here for today. Uh, here's two questions that I want to deal with today. And this is from the standpoint of a Jesus follower. As a Jesus follower, question number one becomes, can I cancel a brother or sister in Christ? Can I just wipe them off the face of my communications? And here's the key question for society, not just us today. Can I cancel Christ? Because there are people who are trying to do it. And it's, it's getting more and more noticeable. Let's just say that. So the, the two things that we're going to deal with, can I cancel a brother or sister in Christ? And can I cancel Christ as a Jesus follower? Those are the two questions that we're dealing with today. Now, Here's two of the causes, I think, of, of why Christians are in a bind like we are right now. And the first one is a covenant. Now, 
we did a sermon series on this not too long ago. We talked about this guy in particular. What is the covenant that was made on this one? Never again will I destroy life like I did before. Now, God is making a covenant. You may be asking, Bill, what's a covenant? Well, a covenant is more than just a promise. It's not based on a feeling. It is something that is so serious. I'm going to uphold my end of this deal, even if you don't. And that's God's example in Noah's covenant. There are five major covenants in the Old Testament. If you did the uh, Epic of Eden study, you could probably recite them just from memory, right? I'm not going to put you on the spot yet. Uh, so Noah is the first one, and what God is saying there basically is, I know that people are sinful. I know that people have problems, and we're going to start over. But even despite knowing what's going to happen in the future, I promise, I covenant that I will never wipe out people like that again. That's a gutsy call. Now imagine going to one of your friends that had wronged you and said, Okay, I know you really wronged me, but uh, I promise I'm never going to bring that up or hold that over you again. I'm not God. That's a tough one, but I'm working on it. That is the call. That is the ideal. That's what Jesus asked of it, but I'm getting ahead of myself. Let's go back to these covenants. The covenant ideal is that God is saying, I'm going to uphold my end whether you do or not. And so far, it's proven true. We move in then to the Abrahamic covenant, which is the, the promise. I'm going to make you a uh, father of many nations. There are going to be descendants so many that there will be more than stars in the sky. And I will be your God and you will be my people. And how'd that go? Eh, you know, we're humans. We get in the way. Uh, there's this whole slavery in Egypt thing. So then there's another covenant, the Mosaic covenant, where he says to Moses, I'm going to appoint you as a deliverer of my people. You're going to pull these people out of slavery and bondage, and we're going to establish a law, and you're going to be an example to all the other people. How'd that go? Eh, we're doing okay. Okay, well, then we get to the whole promised land, and they're doing their thing there, and they go, you know, everybody else has a king. Why don't we have a king? We want a king. So what's the next covenant? Davidic covenant. And the Davidic covenant says that through this person, through this lineage, there will be a king who reigns forever. How are we doing on that one? Better. <laughs> He's not back yet, but he will be. And that's the last covenant, the new covenant. Anybody guess what the new covenant is? We say it every time we do communion. This is my blood poured out for the transgression of many. Do this in remembrance of me. So his sacrifice on the cross allows us the forgiveness, and yes, he will come again, and he will fulfill all of those covenants. Think about that for a second. That's your homework. Take this thought. When Jesus returns, every covenant is fulfilled. I have come to not abolish the law, but fulfill the law. Take that home and chew on it. We don't have time for that today because we got stuff to do. All right, so here's the, 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 the thing with the, the covenant. Let me go back to that for just a second because I think this is one of the causes of why we have conflict in Jesus' followers today because we have forgotten that we are in a covenant. Now, covenant is a partnership with a purpose. It's a partnership with a goal. A covenant with God is a partnership that says, my goal is pretty singular, reconciliation. And that doesn't sound like a, an, an attractive word, but here's what God means when he says that. He created this nice harmony and, and beautiful paradise of Eden, and we walked with him, and we talked with him, and life was good. We had purpose and meaning, and then that went south. 
That's what God is trying to return us all to so that no person is left behind, so that no person feels left out. That reconciliation is his great call to return us all, and it, it causes us to force the issue of what do I do with this conflict because as long as there's conflict, we're not together. We're not one. How do I deal with that? So understanding that covenant is a promise that God will uphold whether we do or not, I'm inspired to try to do more to uphold my end. More on that later. But it's for the purpose of reconciliation. So I have to lay aside what I want. A good covenant is outside of self. It's timeless. It's absolute. So God's absolute love, which endures forever, is what I'm covenanting to. Not what I feel like that day. Not what reserves I have in me. Not how much patience I have, how much sleep I got or didn't get. None of that matters. So it is a conscious decision on my part, a proactive decision that I'm going to covenant with God. And when I fail, not if I fail, when I fail, there's this thing called forgiveness and grace. And maybe you've heard of those two. I hope you have. If you haven't, this is a great place to, to practice that as well. So that's one problem we need to address as a Jesus follower. Are we in covenant or are we not? Because here's the second showstopper on that. Not only am I in covenant with God, but for the goal of reconciliation, I'm in covenant with you too. I will uphold my end of the bargain. Uh, not always. Uh, you know me. <laughs> I am not perfect. I, I'm not saying that I am. But if I'm not perfect, I need you to let me know that. Because without that, my covenant is useless. And I have blind spots, and I don't see things. And maybe I said or did something that created a conflict with you. And if I never know that, I never have an opportunity to reconcile. How tragic. So if I've done something wrong, don't say it out loud right now. <laughs> but maybe after church, catch me. You know? And by the way, take a number. So uh, anyway, so the, the second thing that causes the, the problem with Jesus followers is we have lost the ability to communicate. We don't communicate well. And I'm convinced when it comes to this whole covenant thing and pointing out what things are, you know, there's this thing between us. It's just awkward. This is what Galatians 6.1 says. Sorry for the eye check. It looked a lot bigger on my laptop. So it says, Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. Why? To be reconciled. See, God's, God is not complicated as we make him. This is the whole goal, this reconciliation thing. This is what everything is pointing to, including Jesus on the cross and Jesus out of the grave. If we see something, we should say something. Now, do you have to, to say everything, <laughs> every little thing? No, we're going to have some criteria that we work through that you, you don't have to point out every little thing. But we're also going to have some criteria that helps us decide when do I need to say something. The other part I would say here is if you haven't heard the other parts of this sermon series called My Pause and My Part, please go back and listen to them before you try this because otherwise it's going to come off confrontational. It's not going to end well for anybody, I promise you. Uh, not that I've ever participated in that. But we have lost the ability to communicate well. We should communicate in grace. We should communicate with the goal of reconciliation. We should communicate so that it builds each other up and builds his kingdom, not so that we, quote, win. So this is one of the problems that Jesus followers have, I'm pretty convinced. Um, 
when should I address an issue when a conflict uh, arises? Well, here's some criteria that I would like to offer to you. If that conflict is damaging my relationship with someone, I need to say something because I'm not in covenant with that person right now. If my conflict is hurting others, and again, I may not know that. I may have hurt every, one, every single one of you and not know it. Some brother or sister needs to tell me that so that I can do something about it. If my conflict is hurting the offender, well, who am I to judge? Oh, the Bible says don't judge or you will be judged. Yes, but right after that it says take the log out of your own eye so you can see the speck in the other's eye. Meaning that, and again, we just talked about this three weeks ago, that speck is still there and it still needs to be removed. We have an obligation to one another if we are going to live this covenant as faulty human beings to speak grace but truth with one another. And I think we've lost the ability to do that. Now, the good news is, if you are in a church, if you're in a school, if you're in a workplace, if you're in a family, if you have a pulse, you're going to have an opportunity to do this in this world. You're going to have an opportunity to speak grace with truth, and you're going to have an opportunity to practice forgiveness. That's just the way we are. So we might as well be good at it. The other reason I would say something is if it's significantly dishonoring God. So let's take a look then at what the Bible has to say about this. That's when I should say it now, how I should address the conflict. There's very specific guidance that's found in Matthew 18. Let's read it out for you here today. There are three, we're going to break this down, so don't panic. We're just going to buzz through this part. But this, this is Jesus speaking, so if you want it from the authority, here it goes. If a brother or sister sins, go and point out the fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. These are the words of God for the people of God, and for these words we are grateful. Let's break this down a little bit because this is the biblical model of conflict. And if you've ever had conflict, well, if you've never had conflict, you will. Uh, and if you never admit that you have conflict, then we've got a conflict. So uh, here's how this works. The first is we go person to person, one on one with the person that you've got it. Now, when you go to that person, let's say uh, that candle uh, I have a problem with. I've got conflict. I go to that candle. I don't go to all candles in the world. I don't go, hey, did you see what that candle did? I go to that candle, and I am prepared to what? Listen, right? My pause, my part. I want to listen. I want to say what it is that my conflict is, and then I want to be prepared to listen because there's always two sides of the story, and I may not understand what's going on, but I want to. Listen, engage, and I don't mean like combatively. <laughs> I mean make it a dialogue. Don't come in with, this is my point, I'm going to drive this point home until you accept my point, and there is no wiggle off to this point. Engage. This is back and forth. This is the grace in the truth. This is the covenant that keeps us together. Then, the goal is always reconciliation, so I choose my words carefully. I have maybe many pauses, maybe many admissions of my part. As I learn what is going on, I, I may see things I don't like about myself. And that's okay. I may dig up more that I don't like about that candle. 
that's okay. Because here's the bottom line. The grace required to overcome any conflict is not my grace. The love that is required to stay in covenant with a brother or sister that we're having conflict is not my love. And that is good news. Do you know why? Because it's God's love and God's grace, and they never run out. You can make a withdrawal and a deposit all in one fell swoop. You don't have to rely on how much reserve you got that day. The second part, if that doesn't work, go into person to person. We've done all the things that we can do. We go with others. Now, <laughs> this is not like, <clears throat> sorry, <clears throat> when I traveled to Missouri, it's peak ragweed season, and I'm reminded why I don't live in Missouri anymore. <clears throat> so you're either going to get Barry White or Boy in Puberty. Just take your pick. All right, uh, so go with others. Now, when you go with others, this is not like, okay, I've got this position. Who thinks the same way I do, and we're going to get our gang together, and I'm going to go gang up on that candle. No, what, what this means when you go with others is you look for wise counsel. That could be anybody in the church. It's not gender dependent. It's not age dependent. I know some very wise people who are very young in age, but very old in soul and vice versa. Pick wise counsel that will be objective, that will stick to that goal of reconciliation. Because when you're in the middle of a conflict, it's really hard to stay objective, isn't it? It's really hard to see the big picture. And it would be really nice if someone there were there to remind you that, hey, guys, the goal is reconciliation. Can we see past these obstacles? Can we work together? And you know what? Sometimes as a result of working through that process, you actually come out stronger on the other end. Maybe you've experienced this in a relationship that you have. Uh, and if not, I, I encourage you to, to practice this model because it's the most amazing thing to come out the other side of a conflict. Having resolved the conflict with the goal of reconciliation, there is, there's a peace, there's a bond there that you can build on. And this is my desire for all of us. So think about taking that person or persons who would make wise counsel, who can stay objective, not take sides, but rather point out what is God's side. Because at the end of a, of a reconciliation, I'm less concerned about if I'm on the right side. I'm more concerned about if I'm on God's side. Because if we can both come to that conclusion that we're on God's side, reconciliation just happened. All right, now, it's not to gang up, it's to look up when you take the others, and we talked about that. We're not ganging up on them, we're trying to look up. We're trying to get everybody's eyes up off of the situation onto God's grace, truth, and love. And then finally, go to the church. Now, how many people have been in a church where your sin has been announced to the congregation? Great, we're starting next week. Invite everybody you know. And No, <laughs> now, that doesn't mean what, you know, like, uh, here's a proclamation, Bill has sinned, and here they are. No, that's not what that means. It means, look, here's a situation that we're dealing with, folks. And we need to get a handle on it. And, and here's where we are. So I'm going to give you an example in just a second. But suffice it to say, can I cancel a brother or sister in Christ? There actually is a time for separation. Now, that doesn't mean that I'm judging. It just means that I'm distancing for a time until God can work the change that God needs to make. So here's, here's an example that I want to share with you. Imagine you're at the dinner table with your significant other or if you're in the dating years, this is the, the person who's asking you to prom or vice versa, whatever, someone that you're deeply connected to. 
and, and you have pledged to one another. The, the married couple makes the best example because that is a covenant. Marriage is a covenant. And one of the partners at the table sits down and says, you know, I know we stood before God and everybody and said, till death do us part and all that other in sickness and in health stuff, but I am going to have an affair and I'm going to continue to have an affair. How would you feel? I see some frowny faces. I see some thumbs down. Yeah, because you were part of a covenant. You understood the assignment. The assignment was that we are in this together. And we're going to remain in this together. And what you're telling me is you're going to not only break the covenant, but you're going to continue to break the covenant. I, I feel worthless at that point. I feel like I, I don't matter to you. Now imagine this. Imagine I went to God and I said, God, I'm so sorry that I sinned against you. And clearly I did. And let's just make there's no doubt about it. I sinned. It's my fault. And I go to God and I say, God, I'm sorry that, uh, that I didn't uphold my end of the covenant. Will you please forgive me? And God's answer comes back. Bill, I will forgive you, but I'm going to keep bringing that up every time you talk to me. And I'm not really ever going to give you a chance to have that relationship that we once had. You can never return to the first love that we had. How would you feel? See, this is the difference between human love and God's love. Because when I go to that like God and I say, God, I sinned, I've blown it, I've ruined the covenant. And he will say, you know what I'm going to do with that? I'm going to take that thing that you did and I'm going to make it as far as the east is from the west. When you come to me next week, when you, <laughs> next week when you pray, I hope you pray more than every week. When you come to me the next time that you pray, I'm not going to mention that. I'm not going to hold that over you. I'm not going to wait two months down the road and go, hey, remember that time? It is, it is done. It is gone. I'm not going to allow that to stand in the way of our relationship. Now, there are limitations when it comes to humans. I understand. We're going to address those. But I want you to get the gold standard first so that you understand the level of love and forgiveness that God sets and calls us to. So let's keep going. What's the cure for all this? Well, it's not just take a pill. Because <laughs> that's what society would say. Oh, we've got this conflict. I'm just going to take this magic pill and it's going to go away. That's cancel culture. Or that's just ignoring someone and pretending like there was never a thing or there, there's just not a thing between us, so I'm not going to pay attention to it. In the meantime, that thing festers and grows and other people begin to talk and there becomes division. And you know who rejoices the most in that division? Exactly, the enemy. He's down there going, yes, I have divided my, the, his people. That's the surest way to lose. Everybody knows that. If you're divided, you'll fall. United, you stand. Wise man once said that. Is that in the Bible? Trivia question. No, it's the, the gospel according to Abe Lincoln. Good job. All right. So uh, work, it's going to take work. It's going to take back and forth. It's going to take... I may not resolve my conflict right away, but by covenant, I am determined to make this work and as much as is possible on my part. Does it get resolved every time? Maybe not. But as far as I am responsible for it, I will do everything that I can to hold my end of the covenant by the grace of God. 
it's going to take love, and it's going to take this thing called forgiveness. Now, forgiveness is a tricky one. We did a whole sermon series on forgiveness a, a while back, and I would refer you to the website. You can wordserve.org, go to the sermons page, search forgiveness, and you'll see the whole sermon series. So I'm not going to give that all to you again, but I will give you four promises of forgiveness that are given in this book called Resolving Everyday Conflict. And I want you to think about this. When you forgive someone, these are the four promises that they say will make effective forgiveness. I will not dwell on this incident. Meaning that whether I'm talking to you or not, whether I'm in your presence or not, even when I'm away from you, I'm still thinking about that thing that you did or that thing that you said. And it taints everything that I do in the future. It even taints the way I approach you next time or don't approach you. It's setting like a... Like a operating system in the back of my head and it's driving future decisions so the dissension will probably get worse unless I say I'm not going to dwell on this I won't bring it up and use it against you I won't talk to others it's between me and the candle unless it needs to get a little bit bigger so that we can all come to reconciliation and I won't allow the incident to stand between us or hinder our personal relationship in other words I'm going to leave a door open hopefully we can come back together to the way that we once were. And by the way, I say the same thing with God. He says, I'm going to leave a door open, and by the sacrifice of my son Jesus Christ, I hope we can come back to the way we were. Now, there is one caveat that this book recommends, and I highly agree. Uh, if it's a recurring sin, then it needs to be brought up again. It's, it, I gave you an example a few weeks ago of a mother who was trying to do right by her son who happened to be a drug addict. And in trying to do right, she did not address the core issue of his addiction, which then led to his eventual overdose and death. That's why this is so critical and important. So what do we do now? Well, as a church, here's what I think is the best way forward. We agree to re-covenant. Come on in, have a seat, grab some coffee. It's all good. Come on in. Uh, so we recovenant. We say that not only am I going to reapply myself, but I'm going to treat this as something that binds us together in through eternity. That's what covenants with God do. Understanding that the covenant is something that binds us, whether I agree with it or not, how I feel about it or not, does not matter. If it's a godly covenant, it is eternal. It is a call to reconciliation. The second thing, learn to communicate. And I don't mean learn to talk with each other. I mean learn to communicate with the purpose of reconciliation because that's a different kind of communication. It's the one that causes me to pause. It's the one that causes me to analyze my part, to choose my words carefully, to listen, to engage, to reconcile, not to win. The third one is learn to forgive. Now, if you practice this idea of conflict and pointing things out and calling out sins of others, you will have the opportunity to practice forgiveness. That's the way this works. Forgiveness is not forgetting. This is a human limitation. If, I, if you mishandled my funds, uh, I'm going to remember. I'll forgive you, but I'm going to remember that. I'm probably not going to invest more with you until there's a significant change going on. If there's some other hurt, like physical abuse, um, some people will say, well, in a marriage, you know, there is physical abuse, but, you know, until death do you part, you've got to stay together with that physical abuse. No, you don't. You can have complete forgiveness and complete ex-fiancé <laughs> at the same time. It's one of, the, one of the, the oddities of this. 
You don't forget. You don't put yourself back in a hazardous situation. But it, you, you do forgive with the idea that you can move on and leave a door open for reconciliation down the road when things are right. If you fail to reconcile, does that mean you're a failure? No. It means that you live in a human world. And some things, not even Jesus reconciles with everybody at the end of the book. Have you read it? Not even Jesus reconciled with everybody he met as he spoke, walking this earth. So don't feel like you're a failure if you cannot reconcile. What I am saying is do everything in your power and in your part to do this reconciliation as a covenant with God. And finally, we should become love. Now, what does that mean? One of the most famous verses when it comes to love is Paul talking to the Corinthians, and, and he's talking to people who are dealing with this exact issue. There is conflict. There are people who are trying to push agendas. There are people who feel privileged or feel left out, and there's a lot of conflict in the church at Corinth. So Paul pins these words with love. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. And you know what I notice about that verse? Is that everything that says not is exactly what I do. And everything that says is, is exactly what I don't do left to my own power. The only way that this works is if it's God's love flowing through us, if it's God's grace flowing through us, if it's God's truth speaking through us. That's the only way this works. How does this apply practically? Well, for me, when I'm in a conflict, I take my conflict. I, I, I'm, a, I'm a visual guy. So I take my conflict, whether that's with a person or persons or group or whatever, and I picture us having that conflict and that conversation at the foot of the cross. And, and there's Jesus looking right down on it. And I'm arguing about what color the carpet should be. And he's going, seriously? I'm arguing about what flavor the coffee should be. I'm arguing about what time the service should be. I'm arguing about what? that is, is greater than Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. If you've got something greater than Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, you've got a serious conflict. I'd love to hear about it, because I've never heard one greater. But that's what I do. I take my conflict, I picture it in that venue, and it re-motivates me to seek that reconciliation, because the whole point of Jesus' death is so that that door would be open to reconciliation. And if I don't take advantage, if I don't do everything in my power, then I'm not living fully into the call that Jesus gives us. I may fail, but love will never fail. I may give up, but love will always persevere. Is there a time when Christ will be canceled? You know, Christ says himself, heaven and earth will pass away but my words will remain. That's the great love that Jesus offers on the cross. That's the door, the price he paid for the door to open to us reconciliation. 
The question is not if Christ will be canceled. He wins in the end. He endures. The only question that we need to answer today is, what will we do with the love that Christ gives us? What will we do with the door that he has opened to reconciliation? Because ultimately, nothing else matters. Will you pray with me, please? God, this idea of conflict is everywhere. And I admit I'm often part of the cause. I also admit, God, that a lot of times I try to do with my own resources what you intended to do. And frankly, it gets in the way. It's less than what you call us to. God, for every individual that's out there feeling the same way I do today, I pray that you would comfort us in your grace and your forgiveness. Help us to understand that the door that is open is first open to you by the great sacrifice of your son, Jesus Christ, by the love that knows no end that we can never be separated from. And God, as that door is open, I pray this morning you would help us see the path clearly to come back to you, to be reconciled to what we once were so that in turn, Thank you.